0: We're continuing on in our series in the book of Habakkuk, and so if you have a physical Bible, you got a device or anything like that, you can go ahead and open it up to Habakkuk chapter, uh, chapter 2, um, and uh, we're going to get through the first couple verses here this morning. If you're having a hard time finding Habakkuk... That's okay. Uh, It's going to be in the Old Testament. It's snuggled between Nahum and Zephaniah. So uh, if you know where Nahum and Zephaniah are, obviously, uh, you can flip to those and then find uh, Habakkuk from there. But don't feel bad. Use your table of contents, whatever um, you need to be able to get there. Um, So as you're uh, you're playing Where's Waldo with Habakkuk, I want to share a little bit. Um, about uh, about my life because what we want to do is we always want to uh, to read scripture in context. We want to understand what's happening amid scripture and then pull the applicable truth out of that passage and apply it to our lives so we can become more holy every day, right? Like that is our goal. And so we never want to assume that what is written specifically in the Bible is written to us. Oftentimes, most times, it is written to a specific group of people in a very specific time frame. But then what we can do is we can understand the truth of what is happening, pull that truth back out, and apply it to our lives so we can become more and more like God um, every, every single day. So in, in my life, there have been quite a few moments uh, when, like Habakkuk, I had to simply lean on my faith and rest in what God was going to do. Um, I think I've shared this story before, but that's okay. It's still, it still rings true. Um, Sarah and I, we've got, we've got five kids. We've got a gaggle uh, of kids is the official term for having five kids or more. Um, and so we're on our, our third kid at this point. Um, and his, his name is Owen. And at this point, Sarah and I are pretty much professionals at having kids, right? Especially me. I'm real good at it. um, and, uh, and she was great, you know, she's going into labor, she's having contractions, she's pushing the baby out, she's recovering, she's feeding the baby, um, all the things that mom do to, uh, to have their kids. She had her roll down. I was really good at uh, not fainting and making jokes with the nurses and doctors. That was my responsibility in the midst of all of this. And she had done like a pretty good job at holding up her end of the deal, right? I was crushing my responsibilities of, uh, of this labor in delivery and and there we had Owen and owen here he 's just like this solid little baby he wasn 't a little baby he was a, a decent sized um, uh, baby. he never cried, he never fussed he 's like the most chill baby in the world right If this kid made a noise, it was only because he needed his diaper change probably right like so like like super chill little kid and so we're doing the hospital stay because after you have a baby the hospital's like hey you got to hit these benchmarks in order for us to release you with this child so we're like all right we we know what the benchmarks are for you know, the, uh, the most part, they, they check for jaundice. They want to make sure your kid's got a bowel movement. They make sure that they're eating well. And, and, and there's others. But the one that I, that I didn't remember from the other pregnancies was they do a hearing test uh, with with your infant. And I didn't remember that from the other ones, but um, they want to make sure that your kid doesn't have any hearing issues or anything like that. So this little nurse comes in. She couldn't be taller than like five foot, weigh more than 100 pounds, just tiny little nurse. And she just kind of shuffles in with this cart, and there's headphones on the cart. And uh, so she comes in, she puts the headphones on Owen. I make a joke about like his favorite album that you should put that one on, you know, whatever. Doing my responsibility as, as a dad. And I realize as I'm looking over that this nurse is taking far too long hanging out by Owen's plastic crib. I'm like what is happening over there? Like he's not selecting new songs in a playlist or anything. Like what is happening over, over there? And so she's over there. Like for me, and if it's like a hearing test of the baby, like you snap real loud in front of the baby's face and see if they move. And you're like, okay, they can hear, right? And if they don't, they can't. That should be the end of the day. But apparently what they do is they put headphones on your baby and they play some sounds. And if they can hear uh, an echo of the sound, they know you're your kid's hearing is good to go. If they don't hear an echo, then at that point, they're going to run more tests, obviously. But more often than not, your kid has some sort of hearing, uh, significant hearing hearing loss. I didn't know this, right? And so she had been trying for a while. She pulled the headphones off of Owen and said, he didn't pass the test. I'll come back in a few hours. And just like slowly like shuffled out of the room, right? It's just like, what? What do you mean he didn't, pass, he didn't pass the test? Like that's not a thing. First of all, like his last name is Anderson. We don't fail tests in our family, right? But then second of all, hold on, this is, this isn't, this is a bigger deal. This isn't just, oh, he didn't, he didn't pass a test. Like I didn't know what that meant. So of course I freak out, right? Uh, I, I failed in my responsibility of just, like, making people laugh. And Sarah, of course, is perfectly calm. I'm terrified at this point. I'm, I'm completely and totally anxious. Like, every few minutes, like, I'm just trying to get a response from Owen. So, like, I just, like, clap real loud every couple minutes to see if he flinches. And, again, super chill baby. He he doesn't move again. Um, and so I start thinking to myself, like, okay, well, hold on. Like, Owen, I, he, he never cries. So if Owen never cries... Maybe he's not crying because he can't hear himself cry, right? Like he's, he's trying to express himself, but he doesn't hear anything that's happening. And so because of that, he, he, he actually, maybe he, he, is, he is deaf. Um, and so I, like, I start going on tangents. I'm literally starting to look up American Sign Language. Like how am I going to sign to this kid, you know? And I was trying to like come to grips with the idea that we were going to have a kid in the house who was deaf. And all of us were going to need to learn to sign. We were just trying to get our other two kids to learn how to say please and thank you with their voices. Forget about signing it, right? So super nervous about the entire thing. And in that moment, which is comical to me now, I was a complete and total wreck. If you know Owen, he can hear. He can hear a little too well, and he can talk a little too well as well. Um, But I didn't know what to do. I, I obviously couldn't, I couldn't solve this problem. There was no one to talk to about it until the short little nurse came scampering back in, right? There was nothing that I could do uh, to fix it. And so Sarah and I just had to just really just sit and rest in this uneasiness that our lives could be completely and totally changed forever based on what this nurse was going to tell us. So Sarah, of course, tells me to relax, which always works, by the way, um, That there's nothing to worry about. Just you just we there's nothing we can do. You just have to wait. And we just sat in it. And I waited because there comes a point in our lives where the storm that you are sitting in largely seems insurmountable. And there is nothing that you can do about it but pray to God and sit with your hands crossed and wait. Just so y'all know, lady came back in, she ran the test again. And he put the headphones back on. She was there much shorter that time. And then she just turned around and left. She was like halfway out the door. Didn't even acknowledge us. I was like, Hold, what? Stop. Right? So she, I, I asked her, I was like, it did, did he pass his hearing test? She goes, oh, yep. And just like walked out. I was like, what do you mean yep? Are you joking? You took years off of my life. How dare you just say yep? Anyway, but we all have moments like this in our lives. Where regardless of the control that we want to have, there is is sometimes nothing you can do about the situation but simply pray and wait. And maybe for you it's something, maybe you're walking through this right now. Maybe it was a diagnosis that, that came through that you hoped you'd never have to deal with. And regardless of what you did, maybe God was just quiet. You poured out your heart. You had prayed regularly. You were faithful amid the entire thing, and you just got nothing from God. I know we just hosted uh, a funeral here this last week, Troy Barnhart's funeral. Um, My family and I were on vacation, so I didn't get to attend. Um, But Troy and, and Linda had largely been walking through this for the last three, four years of his life. And I can only imagine the ups and downs that they walked through as they are praying hundreds, if not thousands, of prayers for the healing of Troy over and over and over again. And largely, oftentimes, I'm sure they got just silence. Or maybe it was a job for you that you really needed, right? And you think about, like, inflation and housing prices and kids seem to get hungry every single day. And so, like, the larger check Was what you needed, and you interviewed, and you just didn't even hear back from them. You just got silence, and there was nothing you could do but just simply wait. Or I remember a a few years back for you, you Navy folks here, that there was a group of sailors who were out on a deployment uh, from here, and what they thought was going to be a few month deployment, and then a few months months turned into a few more months, turned into a few more months, turned into home by Halloween, turned into home by Thanksgiving, turned into home by Christmas, turned into hopefully by Valentine's Day they will be able to get back. And at the time I actually had a wife of one of those sailors uh, uh, in, our, in our small group and I was just amazed that even though her husband was gone and, and she had no clue when her husband was gonna get, get home or when she was gonna see him again, she said, there's nothing I can do is that all I can do is simply pray and wait. And I think that's actually really remarkable because the world in which we live actually teaches us that waiting is never a good thing, that actually you have to wait, it's bad, right? If you have to wait too long at a place to get your food, you're not going to go back to that place and you're going to leave a mean review on Yelp right? Or if you have to wait too long for your coffee or the drive-through is too long and you have to wait. The waiting is bad. It's a sign of mismanagement. It's a sign of things, things that aren't actually moving in a direction that they, they should be moving, right? We, we all think that we are entitled to our time and no one should be allowed to take that time from us. Case in point, if you have to be in line for any longer than 30 seconds, you see a line Right? And you're like, I have to go stand in that line. What do you do? You stand in the line. First thing you do, put your hand in your pocket and pull out your phone. right? Because you're like, hold up. If I'm going to have to be in this line, if I'm going to be in this line, at least I am going to be entertained while I am in this line. That's my time and I'm going to do with it what I want to do with it. And this is the lesson here that God is actually teaching Habakkuk in chapter 2. Not to use his phone, but that sometimes... The only thing that you can do is simply wait. Sometimes that is simply it. And this is going to be hard for Habakkuk here. Because like we talked about last week, everything that Habakkuk holds dear is going away. Everything that he holds dear is going away. People are no longer honoring God. And he wants them to, like, that is the basis of all of this. Like, God, your people are turning your back on you. Don't you care? And so Habakkuk is just like crying out. So these people are no longer honoring God. He actually thinks God is approving of their sin. He's crying out to them, even as far as to tell God that, hey, God, that law that you put in place, that Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments and everything to end up following it, all of that law doesn't, doesn't actually work because these people are still sinning and have no recognition of you or your character, God. What are you gonna, why aren't you doing anything about it? And then God comes back and he tells him, you're going to be amazed by what I am about to do, Habakkuk. You are going to be so amazed by this that even if I told you what was about to go down, you wouldn't believe me anyway. So then God tells Habakkuk he's going to raise up this group of people, the Babylonians. This is all in chapter 1, the Babylonians. And the Babylonians, all they, care, all they care about is conquering people and establishing larger territory. They don't care how they do it, right? They just care that they get it done, okay? So if they felt like, like, like pillaging and raping and murdering and all that stuff, didn't matter. Yeah, go nuts. Go ahead. They had no higher calling, no authority. They weren't God's people. And so Habakkuk's upset because God's raising up these Babylonians to judge the people of Judah, People of Judah are God's people. Yeah, they're sinning, but they're not sinning as bad as the Babylonians. God, how dare, like, how can you say you're going to raise up a more sinful people to judge a less sinful people? How dare, like, like, why would you do something like that, God? Which allows us then to enter in to Habakkuk chapter two, verses one through four. This is gonna be God's response to Habakkuk being upset that the Babylonians are going to be used to judge the people of Judah. This is what it says. It says, I will stand at my watch. This is Habakkuk talking. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. That's Habakkuk talking, kind of puffing out his chest a little bit at God. Verse 2, then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up, the Babylonians. The enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. So in verse 1 in Habakkuk, he is responding to what God said about the Babylonians, right? And that's, what, that's what he's doing, that he's going to judge Judah with this evil nation. And Habakkuk's not about that. Habakkuk just says, I'm, you know what, God? I'm going I'm to go hang out in my watchtower. I'm going to go wait and see what God is going What What is it that you're going to do about my complaint? It almost still feels like Habakkuk is kind of trying to force God's hand here. Like, God, I have done my part. When are you going to do your part? He said, I'm going to be up there. God, whenever you're ready, I'm just going to be up here because I've done everything that I'm supposed to do. I've done everything that I have asked you to do. Now it's time for you to respond, almost like putting God on his own timeline. It almost feels like he's trying to force his hand. Remember, Habakkuk is a, is a prophet. A prophet simply means mouthpiece. In this instance, specifically, he is, using, he is used as God's mouthpiece. And one of the most important roles of a prophet in Scripture is to simply listen for what God is doing or wanting the prophet to convey. So the role of the prophet, honestly, largely, is just to Wait. Wait on on what? Wait on God's timing for God to reveal what it is he wants to do or say. And once that is revealed, then the prophet is supposed to move. Almost kind of like an like an armed guard, right? Sarah and I went to, to uh, Britain a couple years ago, England a couple years ago. We were in London. And we did, like, all the touristy things that people in London do, right? We found, like, a a red telephone booth and took a picture in it like we'd never seen a telephone booth before. Um, And we went to a couple castles and that sort of thing. And at those castles, they have, like, those guards in the red. And they have, like, the gun and the big funny hat. And there's videos where people... Like move as close to them as possible and like make faces at them. And sometimes like they touch them. And as soon as they touch them, those guards get crazy real fast. Like those hats are no longer funny. They are scary at that point, right? Why? Because the guard's responsibility is to sit and wait. And as soon as as attention is needed... That's when I am going to act. That's the same role that a prophet is supposed to have. As soon as something comes his way, he is supposed to move. And so while Habakkuk is waiting here, the issue is he isn't waiting to see what God has planned. That's not what he is waiting for. He is waiting because he put God on a timetable. He's waiting because he's like, you know what? God, I've done my part. Now move. These people... They're acting unjustly. Do something about it. I'm waiting. That's the type of waiting Habakkuk is, uh, is largely doing at this point. And he essentially said, God, you know what's going on. It's wrong. These people broke your law. Your law doesn't work. Sin is still happening. You're, you know, like now you need to simply do something about it. And while you figure it out, what you're going to do about all of this, God, I'll be up here waiting for you to respond to me. It simply sounds like a person who is done waiting. He says, God, it's time for you to show up. And I think all of us have been there before. They're like, God, I've done my part. I pray regularly. I'm in a small group. I go to church. I'm in the word. I do all these things. And God, still, you haven't answered my prayer. So when you get your act together, God, I'll be over here waiting for you. That's the type of waiting Habakkuk is doing it's trying to feel, it feels like he's trying to be in a power position here, waiting for God to respond in his own time. So, then God speaks. Which again, like I said last week, these are always my favorite parts of scripture when God throws down and tells people how it's supposed to be. Like these people complain and God's like, actually, this is how the whole thing is going to go. So in response to Habakkuk's question of are you really going to judge Judah with those people who are worse sinners than us, God says, hey, take some notes. Take some notes, Habakkuk, so everyone can know what's about to happen. And what God is about to unveil is the future downfall of Babylon after he uses the Babylonians to humble God's people in Judah. And he does this in a vision, and the vision is actually going to run through all the way to the end of chapter 2. We're going to get to just the first part of it today. So God responds to Habakkuk just as the prophet expected he would respond. But the message isn't just for Habakkuk. Because Habakkuk is crying out, and he's crying out, and God, answer my prayers, answer my prayers, answer my prayers. But this isn't just about Habakkuk. This is going to be for everybody else as well. So God instructs Habakkuk. He says, hey, write down this vision clearly so it can be preserved and it can be passed on. Even though the impact of this isn't going to be immediate. Actually, the fulfillment of this prophecy will happen at exactly the time that God has chosen not the time that Habakkuk has chosen. And it's all part of this sequential plan of unfolding uh, throughout history. And it's not like this repetitive cycle. Everybody's like, oh, history always repeats itself. History is moving linearly toward the establishment of God's kingdom. And historical events like this play a crucial role in achieving that final goal. And so although the message isn't going to be fulfilled right away, Habakkuk is confident that this is actually going to come to pass at some point and specifically in God's timing. This piece piece of scripture, verses 1 through 4, we see a shift from Habakkuk being one who wrestles with God to one who simply rests and waits in God's timing. And so at the end of this, at the end of this sermon, we're halfway through the book of Habakkuk. It is a quick story. And so we see Habakkuk last week wrestling with God, the beginning of this week wrestling with God, to God responding, and Habakkuk's tune is going to change and simply be okay resting and waiting in God's own timing. So God tells him that the message specifically, hey, this message is supposed to be written on tablets. God says, hey, go grab a pen and put this somewhere safe when we're done. This isn't, hey, jot down a note and set it on the counter for the next person who comes in. This needs to be able to stand the test of time. Why? Because God's gonna do it when he's ready to do it. And that's not gonna be today and it's not gonna be tomorrow or anything like that. Granted, part of it was this Babylonian writing medium, but the larger piece of it was that there is gonna be a delay in the fulfillment of this prophecy. And so in the context here, there's this harsh oppression going on by the Babylonian people. And there's a whole bunch of despair now going on with the people of Judah. That they, like, they are just like, God, where are you? And so this message is going to be a source of like invigorating hope. This message is going to revive the downcast. They're aware that God is going to be with him and his timing is going to be good, regardless of what they feel like it's going to be. Here's the interesting thing, though. The specific content of the message isn't actually explicitly stated. We do know that it contains hope, right? We do know that it contains hope for those people who read it and it gets shared. And there's a lot of different suggestions that have been made throughout time. But the fulfillment of God's word is sure, even if it seems delay, delayed. And so in the next couple of verses, specifically verses 4 and 5, there's this triumph of faithfulness. And it's contrasted with the restlessness and lack of fulfillment for those who don't rely on God. The obvious landing point here is in verse 4. So if you have your Bibles, read verse 4 again. It says, see, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his what? Faithfulness. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. So then I started thinking about the idea of faithfulness. And how does that make me a righteous person? Like, what is faithfulness? And, and, and I feel like you can't have faithfulness without patience. And I know there's some of you in here who you have been warned about the idea of praying for patience, right? You pray for patience, God's going to give you an opportunity to be patient, right? But faithfulness and patience largely go hand in hand. And that's what Habakkuk has had such a difficult time seeing thus far. Right, Habakkuk wants answers, and he wants answers right now because God's law isn't working with his people. Right, the answer he gets isn't the answer he wants. God largely says, wait. And let's be, let's, be, let's be pretty clear here. Like, it's easy to be faithful. It would be really easy to be faithful if we didn't have to wait. Right, really easy to be faithful if you didn't have to, have to wait. Like, if we prayed for something, it always happened immediately. You would never have to exercise your faith. Ever. We can simply treat God as like a cosmic sugar daddy, nothing more than a genie in a bottle. Like, uh, God, I, I have a wish. God, I'm hungry. I want a Pop Tart. Really hoping it was going to work. But this idea of faithfulness and patience going hand in hand is something that I actually wrestled with a lot this week. Because I think underlying, you always kind of understand that in order to be faithful, there's times that you have to be. Patient. So I wrote down some instances where the two are connected at the hip. So if you're a note taker, here's your note taker section of the uh, of the morning. But there's there's six of them that I came up with, and I'm sure there's more. But 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 here's a couple. Like the first one, this idea of trusting in God's promises. If you're to trust in God's promises, you you have to both be faithful, and that faithfulness requires patience. Like like the idea of faithfulness involves trusting in God and trusting in his promises. So when we have faith, we believe that God is faithful to his word and we can rely then on his promises, even when we can't see the immediate results. Patience largely comes into play as we wait for God's promises to be fulfilled. That's when patience comes into play, even when it takes time, even when you don't know when that is going to unfold, right? Or, Or the idea of enduring in difficult times. I think this is probably the most obvious one that most of us will walk through at some point in our lives, that faithfulness and patience are crucial during challenging periods of life. Absolutely crucial. So when we remain faithful to God, we remain faithful to his teachings, we're then better equipped to endure trials and tribulations with patience. So patience enables us then to persevere, trusting that God's plan is unfolding, even when we don't understand the reasons behind those difficulties. Or waiting on God's timing, right? Patience is closely tied to waiting on that timing. Faithfulness requires us to believe that God knows what's best for us, regardless of how long it takes for us to hear and answer from him or believing in the unseen, right? Faithfulness and patience go hand hand in hand with this. That faith requires us to believe in God's existence. Faith requires us to, to believe in God's goodness even though we can't physically see him. Patience then requires us to wait for God's work in our life even when we can't see the immediate results. This one specifically was really really true for Sarah and I. When we Uh, about 10 years ago now, we felt the call to move to a place called Apple Valley seems really nice. It's hotter there than it is here. And so we moved to Apple Valley and we didn't know anybody there. There was no reason we actually should have gone. I had decided I was getting out of ministry. I was in the middle of getting my master's in education and best practices. I was gonna be a teacher. I actually had already been a teacher for a year. And I was, like, going in and moving into my second year, going to clear my credential. I could be a teacher for the rest of my life if I wanted to be a teacher for the rest of my life. I actually already had a job lined up. And then a buddy of mine, God uses a buddy of mine to give me a call and was like, hey, there's a ministry position open down here in Apple Valley. First question, where's Apple Valley? Right, go Google it. Bro, I'm not moving there. I looked at the Google images. Everything's brown. Why would I move there? It was like, bro, you just got to trust me. I said no, hung up the phone, got a phone call after phone call after phone call. And eventually we just felt like God was shutting the doors that we had done our best to pry open and flying open these other doors of ministry. And Sarah and I eventually had to just like resign ourselves to saying, God, obviously this is you at work. And we're going to be faithful in the midst of this, even though that we don't understand what it is that you're doing in this, in this moment of time. And so what we do? We had to be faithful and we simply simply went. But beyond that, it's the idea of growing in character, right? When you develop faithfulness and you develop patience, it strengthens your character. It deepens your relationship with God. And so as we trust him patiently and allow for his guidance, we become more reliant on his wisdom and timing and allows us to grow spiritually. And then the last one, just the idea of prayer in general and this idea of persevering in prayer. I'm sure there are people in, you, people in here who have been praying for the same thing for years. And you just feel like God is silent. Or maybe you feel like God has just kept saying, wait, wait, wait. But faithfulness and patience are both essential in prayer. And so when we continue to pray, we faithfully believe that God hears us even when we don't receive those instant answers. But regardless of the benefit of patience amid our faithfulness, like we want it done now. We want it done immediately. Because from our point of view, most times there is nothing better than a problem being solved quickly and the way we want it solved. I want a Pop-Tart. Pop-Tart. But we oftentimes forget that God isn't on our timetable. And God doesn't have to tell us what his timetable is. Why? He's God. We're not. At the end of the day, we have to come to terms with that. If you wrestle with that idea of always needing to be in control and always needing to understand what is going to happen next, you need to do a deep dive into a study on God's sovereignty. Because at the end of the day, God is in control of everything and you are in control of nothing. If you go a little bit further back into the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 29, Deuteronomy largely is a book about Moses preparing the Israelites for after he dies right? So Moses, he's marching along, right? He's leading them out of, of Egypt and Exodus, and they're wandering for 40 years and all of this stuff. And in Deuteronomy, uh, he's, he's about to die, and he's telling and reminding the Israelites of God's law, largely. But towards the end of Deuteronomy, the Israelites, they start getting antsy, like, hey, when are we going to get into this promised land that God said he was going to deliver us into? And Moses kind of He has enough with it. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, this is what Moses says. He says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. I'm going to read it again. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all of the words of his law. Moses says it isn't up to us to know everything about what God is doing or when he's going to do it. Our responsibility is to follow his law, his word, and to be faithful in that. That's our responsibility. And so often we get it backwards. And we think, God, you just do what you say you're going to do in the Bible. And I'm going to do my best to, to force you to do what it is that I need you to do right now. God, you don't get it. I've got things that, that I need to have resolved in my life. Telling me to wait, that's, that's not an option at this point, God. I can't, I can't wait anymore. Even think about the Jews at that point. The Jews, for for thousands of years, the Jews are waiting on a Savior, right? These are God's chosen, like waiting on a Savior. And God had promised redemption once and for all. He had promised them this was coming. A Savior was coming. Actually, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, you know there's a portion there that isn't included in your Bible It's a 400-year portion of silence from God. It's called the intertestamental period. And that means that from the end, the close of the New Testament to the open of the Gospels, that God is largely silent. And they are waiting and waiting and waiting. And I'm sure in their heads, they're thinking to themselves, like, God, why aren't you doing something? Surely my plan is a good plan. Like, walk forward in this plan, and God is largely saying just wait and watch and see. I've used this, I've used this story before, but, but many of you know my dad uh, passed away from cancer when I was 22 years old. And the entire time he was walking through, prayer, through cancer, four and a half year battle with cancer, the prayer was always like, God, heal my dad, heal my dad, heal my... Like, like he can continue to be used in the church. He can continue to expand your kingdom he can continue to be used in the community. He's a respected businessman who loves you a lot. Like, like God, there's no reason for you, God, to, to allow my dad to die because surely him being alive is the best answer. It's the best course of action. There's no way that you could use something else amid that. He is surely more valuable to your kingdom alive than he is dead. And something interesting happened. About three months after my dad passed away, my mom actually started a Bible study with a bunch of ladies who wanted to learn more about God, not because of the fact that my dad died, but because of the way that my mom lived as my dad was passing away. See, we think that our ideas, our timing, everything that we feel like we can control is always the best option. And God, as I was praying that and as my mom was praying that and other people were praying for my dad, I just felt like there was silence. And my dad's prayer amid the whole thing. He had told me this. He had said, hey, I've never once prayed to get better. I'm like, Dad, can you start? Like, can you start praying to get healed, please? That would be great. He said, I've never prayed to get better. I prayed that God would be glorified amid this entire thing. And I'm like, okay, congrats for being more holy than all of us. Can you now pray to get better? And what did God do? He used that to be glorified amid the entire thing, but it wasn't in our timing. It was in his. So what does this mean for us? I'm sure you can connect the dots pretty well. But to lay it out, it means that our job When God isn't showing his hand, whether it be in his promises, whether it be enduring trial, believing in the unseen, growing our character, or in our prayer lives, it is our job to simply wait on the secret things that God is doing and is going to be revealed, and that just has to be enough. And I get it, it's hard because you're waiting. I'll finish with this. Sarah and I moved, like I said, 10 years ago down to Apple Valley. And I asked Sarah to kind of fill in some of the dots for me last night. I was like, hey, I'm going to tell this story. Can you kind of flesh it out for me? So I said, when did you start praying to move back to the Central Valley? She said, as soon as we moved to Apple Valley. I am like, what? Thank you? Like, <laughs> um, And so she said, yeah, she said, our goal has always been to get back to the Central Valley and do our best to expand the kingdom of God in the Central Valley, regardless of how hot it is. that has always been mine and Sarah's goal. We felt like we were called to that. So it felt weird to feel like God was shoving us down into Southern California. First of all, far too many Dodger fans down there. But... But second of all, it was outside of our community, outside of our context. And so Sarah, as soon as we got down there, she started praying and she started praying. And then I started praying like, God, get us back home. Get us back to where we feel like we're supposed to do ministry. And so we started trying to pry open doors to the best of our ability. And there was a job opportunity. I'm going to go apply for it and apply for it and apply for it. I think I had three or four different job opportunities where I ended up getting second place every single time like, hey, we really like you, but, like, can you not really like me anymore, right, can you just hire me, like, at one point, like, I was trying so hard to get back to the Central Valley that I applied for a job, and they brought me up to this church, and it wasn't a senior pastor job, it was more of a connections role, and that sort of thing, and so they brought me up to this church, and they interviewed me, and it was like a three-day super intense thing, and then at the end, the last conversation we had, the guy was like, hey, so what we're going to do now is we're going to take three days and we're just going to pray. I want you to pray. We're going to pray. I'll give you a phone call on Tuesday. And so it's Monday, right? And two days it passed and I'm praying. I'm like, all right, I'm done. I need to find out what's going on. And I was uneasy about the interview. You know, you go to those interviews and you walk out and you're like, if I don't get that job, something's wrong with them, not with me. I didn't feel this way at that time. And I felt like that, that, there were some some answers that I feel like got misinterpreted, so I write like this this three paragraph email, very eloquent, right? Using big words, use my thesaurus, spell check the whole thing, and I just said, hey. Essentially, like I felt like I, I misrepresented myself in some answers. I just want to make sure you're aware of what I wanted to actually convey. And then about 10 minutes after I sent it, I got a one line email back from it. I said, thanks. I'll call you tomorrow. I was like, well, <laughs> not getting that job now. I can't even follow basic directions in my interview. And so we tried so hard to just like, God, we know we are supposed to do this. We know we are supposed to go there. Why are you waiting? Why would you allow, like, just why are you forcing us to pause? And so for four and a half years, Sarah and I prayed that God would get us back to the Central Valley. And eventually, finally, God revealed what he wanted us to do. It wasn't our timing. We tried to force his hand numerous times, but it was was when he was ready that God at that point was going to blow us away with what he had planned. And so now five years into what God had planned at FBH, I couldn't be happier that we didn't jump into our plan and simply waited on what he was going to do, which, hear me, is never easy. But it is definitely faithful. Amen? Let's pray, church. God, we, we thank you for today, and we thank you for your son, and, and, man, God, we just thank you for the book of Habakkuk, even. And there's this small story of your prophet who wants nothing more than your people to honor you and you use that to just shape not just that people at the time those people at the time but you use it to shape us even today and so God I pray for people in here who just feel like they have been waiting that it has been years and years of the same prayer of maybe seeking the same job or looking for a new home or whatever, praying for healing, and they just feel like you're you're saying to wait, and God, that isn't easy. We recognize that isn't easy. But God, we recognize that it's your timing and not ours, that you are God and we are not. So God, I pray that we would remember that as we go from this place that doesn't mean we stop praying. That doesn't mean we stop being diligent in what it is that you would have for us. It simply means that wait is an answer to prayer and that we would be diligent in that. And with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, there's those people in the room who maybe have never yet made a profession of faith. You're thinking to yourself, I would love it if I could just let go and allow God to be God for him to work in my life. If that's you and you want to acknowledge God as the Lord of your life, you can simply pray along with me. We call them the ABCs. Simply say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. But B, I believe that you sent your son to die on a cross for me that all of my sin, all of my shame, everything went up on that cross and he dealt with it so I could be with you for eternity and see that I would choose to follow you every single day of my life, which sometimes simply means waiting. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.